Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Kim Crumbly. I'm Laura Rankhorn. And together we are Counselor Accents. And Kim, we are ready for the exciting conclusion of Brianna's story. We've been talking with Joe Limbo from Shared Hope International. And if you listened to our first episode, I'll bet you are on the edge of your seat. And we gave you just enough to let you know that Brianna was rescued, but now you're going to hear the dramatic way that she was rescued and the conclusion of that. Plus, Joe has some other stories. So hang on tight. Listen closely. This is different than any podcast we've done before. We just kind of let Joe go because she has so much information that we think counselors need to know because this is an important topic. We said it's hard to listen to sometimes and hard to realize that this is happening, but we hope that it is helpful to you. On our last episode, Joe was telling us the story of Brianna. Brianna was a girl who had worked at a restaurant and was befriended by a guy that fit her description of the perfect guy. And as it turns out, this guy was not the perfect guy. So this is the conclusion of how her friend Evan got in touch with the people that could help her. And we're going to hear exactly how Brianna was rescued. We want to let you know that some of the stories that Joe will be sharing on today's episode are tough to hear. Listener discretion is advised. So Brianna uh, comes back and she goes to Evan's house. Now there's some things, you know, I believe in divine intervention. And I believe that there's a God who loved that girl and was not willing for her to be destroyed. She gets to Evan's house and she locks her keys in the car. She doesn't realize it. She goes into Evan's house and her parents and his parents are there. She is spitting mad. She goes out to leave and her keys are dangling in the ignition and the windows open this far. The poor girl about breaks her elbow off trying to reach in to unlock. She is so mad. She can't get it unlocked. She goes back in the house. Her mom is begging her to stay. Uh, she's very angry. She, Linda Smith said, when I walked in the room, she gave me go to hell eyes. Brianna always goes, I did not. Linda goes, yes, you did. <laughs> she was furious with Evan. She thought he had completely betrayed her, her trust. So Linda came in and by assessing it, it, the situation, and you as counselors know this, uh, sometimes it's better not to talk in a room full of people to include your parents. So Linda suggested she come out for coffee with her. Now, John Chapman, uh, the law enforcement officer, he was uh, watching over them. Linda had given him the plan and he had the perimeter of the parking lot. Um, he had officers undercover watching because they weren't sure these guys may have followed her to retrieve their property. <clears throat> she and Linda went to the restaurant and sat and talked. It, it went over well over two and a half hours. And Linda started with telling her how dangerous these guys are, which she refuted and defended and said, they're awesome. You don't understand. These are nice guys. So then Linda switched her tact and she said, well, let me just tell you how these guys operate. This is what they'll say to you. And then she begins to, to give her back all of these things that these guys had actually said to her. And Brianna's like, how do you know that? Linda's like, they're all the same. Brianna, this is what they do. And so that, put a crack in her foundation. Now, the, while they're talking on the phone, she's texting these guys under the table. 
She's talking to them by text because she wasn't convinced they were bad guys and she's really ticked. And so at the end of the conversation, Linda has shared enough with her. She shared Lacey's story about the animals and burning grandma's house and the pictures of her little sister and how they took her away. And then she was left for dead more than once. They used brutality on her because she's very determined to run away. And Linda told her that story and Brianna started getting more and more angry. Finally, Linda said, okay, here's the deal. I want you to not communicate with them for two months. And I want you to come to my office every day. And I want you to learn about how these guys operate. And if you'll do that, and at the end of that time, if you're still convinced they're good guys, I will personally take you back to Seattle. And Brianna agreed. And Brianna is a, a young lady of, of uh, integrity. She kept her promise. And in those two months, she worked in the office uh, with another survivor, uh, Yvonne. I have her story. Not sure we'll get to it till later. But um, she began to see. And the more she saw, the more angry she got. And the more powerful she felt to protect other children. And she said, I will use my voice. And we will tell kids. And they will be safer because they know because this would never have happened to me had I known. And so Brianna's voice is very strong in that chosen film uh, that we use. Now, some questions we get, were the guys ever arrested? Um, they were not because initially they hadn't done anything wrong. She was an adult. They'd invited her to come see them. They'd taken her to strip club. There's nothing illegal about that. Um, by the time the, the FBI and law enforcement was tracking um, phone records, et cetera, because, you know, they had her phone uh, and it had died, but they were able to track uh, these guys, she still had her little throwaway phone they'd given her. So they were able to track some of the calls. They realized that these guys had already sold her to a pimp in Phoenix. It was during Christmas break or winter break. And they told her, we've got tickets to go to Phoenix. Why don't you go with us? That was one of the big draw. Like who doesn't want to get out of Seattle, Washington in the winter and go to Sunnyland, you know? And so um, she was very excited about that. They said, we've already got our tickets and our flight is full, but why don't you go the day before and we'll have one of our friends there with a sign with your name and go with them the next day. Well, they realized through phone records and later they were going and do some tracking that these guys had already sold her for about $60,000 to a pimp in Phoenix. And that's where she was headed if she had gotten on that plane. The other thing is um, during the night, uh, Linda convinced her to hide her mother's car. And so they took it to her mother's work and parked it. And she went home with her parents in their car. And that night, uh, in the middle of the night, her father is watching from the window, obviously, with his shotgun loaded. And they see a car pull on the property with its lights off and drive around and then leave. That in itself is not illegal. Suspicious, but not illegal. But because the car they were familiar with wasn't there, they left. Um, by the time the, the investigation was fruitful enough to understand they had emptied her bank account, had taken all of her savings, uh, they had sold her to the pimp in uh, Phoenix, all those things came to light. They had moved. They were gone. They were no longer in the house on Lake Washington. She didn't have the address anyway, but uh, the police, you know, let's go drive around. Let's see if we can find this place. And, and uh, she didn't know where the place was. I mean, like Washington has, what, 213 shoreline miles or whatever, um, and they were already gone. So, no, they were never found, but her voice has, has literally protected thousands of children. Um, that film, Chosen, was shown to 70,000 children in, nationwide in the first five years it was in existence. Uh, we saw the first uh, batch that we ordered was 5,000 film 
cartridges, cases, has opening and closing slides, has handouts, has Q&A, teacher leader guide, all of that. Um, those sold within the first three years, and then we ordered a second batch. And so just estimating that, who knows how many kids have seen this, this yeah. film and are yeah. safer. Um, I want to tell you a little bit. I love success stories, and I know Laura and Kim do too, and you do too, because we all need some uh, success stories. So the film Chosen, like I said, was shown across the nation, and there was one point where there was a police raid at a motel, and the police were getting enough uh, uh, notice or enough calls in that there's something suspicious going on, so they, they set up a raid, and they busted into this hotel room, and there were, let me look at my notes, be sure I'm accurate. There were five junior high girls inside. And when the police came in, one little girl raised her hands and says, I saw the film. I saw Chosen. That's what's happening here. I mean, you know, she saw the film and didn't know how to extricate herself. But I'm sure it was putting in her mind like, okay, we need to figure out, you know, this is what happened to me and I'm going to get free. And then when the cops bust in, she said that. I love that story because we had trained those police, and so they knew what she was talking about. And she said, I saw the chosen film, and that's what's happening to me. Wow. Another ambassador, uh, like I said, we have ambassadors across the nation. Uh, she explained to a church youth group and their parents how traffickers recruit, recruit girls online and how the grooming process takes place. And one little gal, she was just uh, in seventh grade, she leaned over to her mom and she said, that's what's happening to Kirsten. And her mom was like horrified because Kirsten was a little friend. And I mean, you know, they could have been her daughter. I mean, they were just great friends and they knew the family. So the mom spoke to our ambassador and she said, call the mom immediately and have her take the phone and preserve the information, the communication. Don't, don't let that phone be um, um, erased. Uh, not that Kirsten would do that, but it could have happened. And then take that phone to the police. And so, they were able to track the calls and realize that the guy who was making overtures to her was a registered sex offender in the next state. And they were able to go and lock him up for a very long time. So was it trafficking? Probably not. But that youngster who were, heard the warning signs recognized that her friend was in danger and she was able to defend her. So I love that story. That happens all the time. We get those stories all the time. I love it. There's another story I want to tell you, and this is a personal experience. Um, my husband and I present together. Like I said, we both left the pastorate in 2013 and became uh, involved with groups that fight anti-trafficking. I've been working for Shared Hope uh, on staff since uh, 2014. But uh, we were asked to come to a presentation at Skyview High School in Vancouver, Washington. 2,000 kids. They were going to have two assemblies, 1,000 kids in each assembly. And um, as we were doing the second presentation, and I gave them the five most common types of trafficking at the beginning. That was one of the first times that I did that as part of my opening. And when I mentioned familial trafficking and I said, uh, you need to think of a safe adult that you can go to and it may not be your family, that struck Olivia in her mind and in her heart. And she was listening with that, um, that in mind. So after the first um, assembly dismissed, she went straight to the counselor's office and she began to share with her counselor, this is what's happening to me. My stepfather is grooming me. 
Um, she was 16, a basketball player, tall, willowy girl. Her mom was 34, had had her when she was very young, may have been drug addicted. Olivia never really said that, but there were indications. The stepdad was just 30 years old and they got married after knowing each other for three weeks and he moved in. Now, as the, the counselor had um, called local police, had, had made some inquiries into the stepdad, he had already been arrested eight times for purchasing sex. Mm -hmm. So this was somebody who was very familiar with the world of sex trafficking and prostitution. And he was most likely looking at Olivia as his cash cow. This was what he was gonna utilize to, to get rich. So the counselor asked her, has he touched you? No, he makes lewd remarks. He comes into my room when I'm dressing. And so she'd be very upset about that. I mean, she grabs a towel or she grabs whatever and she tries to pull her t-shirt on real quick, you know? And so she told her mom about it and her mom said, he's your stepdad, you shouldn't think of him that way. He would make lewd remarks uh, as a basketball player. She said, can I go shoot baskets? I need your ball. He said, you can touch my balls anytime. So it was lewd and gross things that he was saying to her, but they weren't illegal, unfortunately. He did tell her one time, don't ever call 911 or they'll put you in foster care. So why is he thinking she needs to not call 911? What is it that precipitated his thought process? But she, this was all making sense to her all of a sudden. And then the, the thing that really alarmed her the most, she loved living in Vancouver. She loved her friends there. And he was threatening to move the family to 82nd Street in Portland. And anybody who knows Portland knows that is the strip. That's where the most um, uh, prostitution takes place and the most hotels that are being used in that way. And it has a, a huge number of people that travel there specifically for that purpose. So the counselor, like I said, she'd already done her job. She'd already called the police. No crime had been committed. He had a record. She was reading, Olivia was reading him correctly. And so they asked us if we would come in and just sit down with Olivia and with the counselor just to kind of flesh this out. Let's just talk all the way around this thing. And uh, so we assured Olivia that you should call 911. You can call 911 if you're in immediate danger. And with the help of the counselor, uh, we began to put uh, uh, safeguard measures around her. So here's what I want to share with you. You're all thinking this question, I know you are. When a child self-identifies, what do I do? Your mandatory reporting protocols apply here. Now, in the case of Olivia, if you've got a kid who is thinking that they're being groomed or they think this could be is what's going to happen to them, then you follow your child at risk protocols. Can the family be the solution or are they part of the problem? In this case, they were part of the problem. Does CPS need to be involved? Does the child need to be removed from the home? Is there a family placement that's available? Uh, we just begin to build a safety net around her. In Olivia's case, she said, yeah, my grandma, my dad's mom said we could, her and her little brother could come live with her. But she said, my mom gets really mad when I ask her about it. And I said, well, tell me about the last time you asked her about it. Well, we'd had a big fight. I know what you're all thinking, like wrong time to ask mom about, you know, something that's gonna make her feel guilty. You know, let me move out because you're a crappy mom, you know. So, so we talked that you know olivia find a time when you and your mom are like maybe go shopping or or maybe you just have a time where you're sitting on the porch and you're laughing and that's a time to say mom you and michael just got married Find on your honeymoon and you got kids underfoot and you know why don't me and my little brother just go live with grandma she said it'd be okay and then we'd be out of your hair and you guys could kind of get this marriage thing underway and she was like 
ooh, that might work. And so we talked, um, we, we were able to give some connections per and the counselor. If they did get moved to 82nd Street, uh, we had advocates right there who had a street, um, uh, they, they reached out in outreach uh, to women who were walking that strip and they were uh, more than willing to be a connection for her and for her to be able to reach out to them. And there were just other things that we put into place um, that would, would help her to be connected and stay safe. And within the school, uh, you know, obviously the counselor was a, a safe place for her. That's where she'd gone. But the counselor said, you know, is there anybody else in the school that you could go to? And it just warmed my heart. There was an older retired law enforcement officer who was now a school custodian. And she felt really safe talking to Doug. She goes, he reminds me of my grandpa. My grandpa died and grandpa always told me he'd take care of me, but you know, Doug, Doug would be somebody I could talk to. So they connected them and, and I followed her for quite a while and texted her and, and we kind of had brief inter, interludes, stayed in touch with the, the counselor. They did not move to 82nd Street. That was a happy ending to the story. So um, the second thing uh, we just talked about, if they're being groomed and they're at risk, follow your protocols. What if a child is already being sold? What if they divulge that to you? And don't think, oh, I don't know what I do. You do. You follow your rape protocols because this is rape for profit. This is a child being raped for someone to make money. And so you follow those, those um, protocols. This is commercial sex for money. The child is being sold and raped, basically. Now, when making the police report, you'll want to be sure and ask for a law enforcement officer who's familiar with VICE. They used to call it VICE. Uh, they used to call it heat units. You can just say, I want someone who's familiar with child sex trafficking and ask them for a uh, victim advocate. Now, some law enforcement are small towns or may not be as well trained. They might not have a victim advocate who's familiar with sex trafficking. So then ask them to contact the FBI because FBI is in every city. Trafficking is a federal offense, remember? So you've got the FBI in your back pocket and they all have, all field offices have trained social workers who are victim advocates and they will work with the victim. I'm just going to give you a shameless plug right now. We just did a web, webinar recently. It's on sharedhope.org under uh, training and then under pre-recorded webinars. And you want to look for Renee Murrell. She's a trained FBI social worker and I loved interviewing her. So there you go. Go look for Renee Murrell at sharedhope.org training and under pre-recorded webinars. How do you like I snuck that right in there? I'm glad you I'm glad you did. Well, one thing I just want to say uh, thank you to Kim and Laura for is in our preview call, they said, please tell stories. We want you to tell stories. And, you know, I'm a storyteller. I was a kindergarten teacher. And, I, you know, when you teach kids who can't read, you tell stories. Yeah. And I raised two children and, you know, they'll learn more. I mean, Jesus told parables, right? So I would tell stories. And I still tell stories. My husband is sort of more of a, a, a you know, uh, just the facts, please. He'll go, is there a point to this? Is there a happy ending? Tell me there's a happy ending and then I can listen to the story, but you got me on the edge of my seat and I'm afraid it's not going to be good. So I'm like, yeah, okay. So um, I love that you gave me permission to tell stories because that oh, really yes. is um, what, what gets me out of bed in the morning is stories and these amazing people and, and the way they're resilient and how they've, they've made a life and all the teachers and counselors who have made a difference for kids. I mean, y'all are just amazing being in that position to see the kid and know the kid and you're going to know and I'm going to help you understand what to watch for. 
So we've talked about your protocols for reporting, mandatory reporting, and we talked about if a child's being groomed like Olivia and you follow your at-risk protocols. We talked about if a child is being sold, then you follow your rape protocols. So the third thing I want to give you a tool as you are making reports is you are more than welcome to call Shared Hope. We are here to connect you with networks uh, in law enforcement, in the judicial system, counselors who are experienced in specific complex trauma. Um, we have networks of people across the nation who are doing this. We actually host a, a um, website. It's like a Google group where everybody can just jump in and ask questions and everyone can see it and answer all in the same. And any service providers, which you all would definitely qualify as service providers because you're working directly with at-risk kids, would be able to connect with that group and ask questions and get resources. And um, I mean, I saw a request last week, we need pro bono attorneys in this state. And like people were pop, 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 oh, you can do this, you, can do that. you know, we've got a kid who needs to be taken out of the state, but they don't want to go further than this state. And boom, 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 we've got two houses, you know, and, and so we want to connect you uh, with our partners. We have survivor-led programs. I mentioned some of them too that we um, partner with, and they are more than happy to visit with teachers, with counselors, with school personnel, and talk about what has happened to this child and where we go from here. So that's one thing that Shared Hope has available for you. I'm available as well uh, as the National Outreach Director. And we just want you to know that there are places for you to get answers and we wanna be here for you. Teachers, educators, counselors, even janitors, uh, SRO officers, they're all part of that network around a kid because often the school is the only place that child feels safe and it's the only place where they can go where they know that their predator can't get to them, right them. And so school is a safe place and they generally love school. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about sometimes difficult for them to keep up with school, but uh, these children are right there in front of you and you're the ones you're going to notice if that child changes behaviors or appearance or language and you're going to be able to help them. So, so the next section we've talked what about what trafficking looks like in the US. Uh, we have talked about some stories of how kids knew and then they were safe. I love success stories. So now we're going to talk about potential warning signs. What can you look for as an educator um, in kids that are under your, your watchfulness and what do you want to look for? So there are a few uh, that you would be looking for anyway. Signs of potential abuse, burns, marks, bruises, cuts. Uh, the child uh, may be very hesitant to explain those to you and may brush it off as uh, those believable things. I ran into a door, I fell down the stairs, that kind of thing. Uh, so you wanna just kind of make note of those as you would anyway. Um, unexplained absences from school, um, truancy is often uh, an early precursor before that child will be taken out of school altogether, may disappear. Uh, the, the pimp predator may decide that, you know, you're mine now and you don't need to be going to school. Uh, you may notice sudden inappropriate dress or over-sexualized behavior. Uh, now we all, you know, we're like, well, yeah, so what else is new, you know, but these are things that you'll want to really pay attention to. Uh, you may have a fifth grader who's normal, happy-go-lucky kid. They're gone for the summer. They come back and all of a sudden they're sullen, they're angry, they're silent. Uh, they may be withdrawn. Uh, and it's our job to find out what's under that change. Um, one problem that we encounter with identifying sex trafficked children is the misidentification. 
so easy to do. We all do it. Law enforcement does it. Parents do it. Oh, they started using drugs. Oh, they're just getting rebellious with their friends. Oh, they just got bad attitudes because the TV they're watching or the games they're playing or the whatever. Oh, it's that new friend they just made. And that may be true, but we attribute it to all these different things. So we may label them and, and, you know, none of us wants to label a kid, but we have to kind of figure out what's going on. And so we have these little boxes where like, okay, are they, you know, drug addicted, alcohol addicted, we need to treat that. And that's true. But that's a symptom and it could be the, the, the tip of the iceberg, what you're seeing, the truancy, the rebelliousness, the dropping grades, all those things could be just what you see. And down underneath here, that child could be being threatened, being sold, being um, a lot of violence committed against them. And if you watched our first section, you'll hear some of those stories. They may be overly tired in class, uh, unable to keep up with their studies. That's because they're working at night. They're being forced out maybe sneak out of the house, maybe lie to mom, uh, going to stay overnight with a friend, whatever. Uh, and they're actually at the request and they have to be compliant with this pimp who is their predator. They may be depressed, uh, distracted, unable to concentrate. You're going to notice their grades. You're going to notice their attitude. You're going to notice that kid that used to be just so excited about science and now they could care less. Um, they may be bragging about having lots of money. Um, they may have hotel keys or um, an extra cell phone or have a cell phone when they didn't have one before. But two cell phones in particular is a really big flag because somebody's calling them on that second phone that wants to have their attention and isn't going to use their regular phone. They may display expensive clothing, um, accessories, shoes, um, they may be hesitant to explain a new tattoo. Uh, pimps often use tattoos as a way of branding and showing ownership. Um, tattoos commonly, um, for this purpose, uh, may be a dollar sign, uh, may reference money, um, may show ownership, daddy's girl, uh, owned by king. Crowns and kings seem to be really something pimps love. They love to think that they are it. And so their tattoos will uh, reflect that. Um, you may see M-O-B. Uh, that's a pimp's way of telling that girl money over bitch. I want the money. I don't care about you. Uh, one girl had ATM tattooed right above her pubic area. That was her, her pimp's ATM. That's where the money came from. Uh, so these kind of things, tattoos aren't always going to be as visible. But when they are, you want to really notice what they say, what the symbolism is. You can go online and you can look for uh, human trafficking common tattoos and you will get pages and pages and pages of common looking tattoos. Barcodes are like a favorite thing, put them on their wrist. Um, some pimps started tattooing their girls on the inside of their lip. Can you imagine how much that would hurt right in there? Because they wanted them tattooed but they didn't want to mar their product. And so if another pimp came to talk to them or if someone else looked like they were going to want that girl to be theirs, she would just uh, reveal her, her lower lip. Another, uh, we saw one girl was tattooed across her eyelids. Imagine how painful that was uh, with her pimp's name. So uh, a new tattoo and she'll probably be very hesitant to explain it. 
and that can be something you want to look for. A sudden change in circle of friends. In our first section, we talked about how that vulnerable age, 13, 14, is when they're kind of finding out who they are and what kind of friend they want to be and what kind of friends they want to be a part of. And once they are accepted into a group, they're real hesitant to leave because it's, it's just you just don't start over when you're a freshman or a sophomore. You kind of want that you know herd mentality, stay safe with your group. And so if you see them uh, suddenly dropping their friends and making new friends, um, those who display different uh, lifestyle or affiliations, maybe gang affiliations or colors or, or uh, different identities that are just not like that child. Um, you might begin to notice more disconnected family connections. Now that's very common in at-risk kids, but if you start to see it in a kid who's always, you know, they were always with their family, they're always going to ball games, they're always going to movies, they were always together, oh, my family, blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden they're not with their family or they're adverse to being with their family. It could be that they're being forced not to be with their family. Um, running away, couch surfing, uh, periods of homelessness. You may have heard about skip parties. That's something you want to listen, listen for. That would be a word you want to listen for. What happens is these recruiters, which are the guys who are out looking for the at-risk kids to then bring them to the pimps for them to groom them and season them and turn them out into the market. Um, they, they rent houses or, or will move into communities really close to a school and they'll get a house and they'll start having skip parties and they'll send kids into the school. They're called spotters and they'll pay them 50 or 60 bucks for every kid they can get to come to a skip party. And they actually skip school. They'll like go during lunch and then not come back. And at the party they're there, it's just way fun. I mean, they're given drugs and alcohol and there's all kinds of music and fun and nobody's threatening anybody. It's all just fun, lots of fun. And kids begin to become integrated into this new group of friends that way. So skip parties are really, really, really dangerous. Uh, sometimes kids will be drugged and abducted right then. They will disappear. That's that gorilla pimp we were talking about, the white van story. It's not always a white van, but you know what I mean when I say that? Um, so you want to listen for skip parties. That's one thing that has been, uh, they are always changing tactics. So in the last, say, four years, that was kind of a thing, but pay attention to that. Uh, you'll see these kids interacting and sharing personal information with significantly older individuals. Doesn't always have to be a guy, could be a woman, could be a teenager, maybe a 21-year-old woman, a girl from a, a college campus, or she says she's from college campus, and befriending this 16-year-old who's kind of misplaced, doesn't have a lot of confidence, is like she's not very pretty, doesn't belong, blah, blah, blah. And this person becomes her friend and they begin to do things together. And this older friend pretty much begins to be everything to that child. Uh, they will probably cover up for any abuse. Uh, they'll cover for their pimp trafficker. Um, they, they will blame themselves. There's a lot of self-shaming that goes on with victims because their pimps tell them, hey, you came to me. I didn't come looking for you. You came to me. You hitchhiked. I gave you a ride. You, out, you said you were mad at your mom. I told you, well, just come stay at my place for one night. You'll teach your parents not to treat you that way. And I was nice to you and I helped you. So don't blame me. I'm not the one. And there's a lot of that self-shame. They feel it was their choice. And pimps are master manipulators at making sure that they do think it's their choice. They're also master manipulators at being invisible to any crime that's committed. Um, the hotel rooms are taken out in a girl's name. Now that's, that's someone who's 
old enough to take a hotel room out where the miners are going to be um, even renting apartments to do business uh, they'll rent it in the name of one of their victims uh, so that they're never really attached to the crime pimps are famous for that uh, it may have been the girl's choice to run away or or go with them or or move out but it was not their choice to be trapped and brutalized and used and be unable to get away so they stay. Stockholm syndrome is very strong in this population. It's a long grooming process to gain trust. The lack of a safe place to run to is the biggest vulnerability. So if the child has escaped from a sexual abuse or physical abuse, or if a LGBTQ child has been rejected by whoever is their caregiver or, or their guardian or their parent, and they've been kicked out and they're unable to to stay in that home anymore uh, a child who has nowhere to go is one of the most vulnerable as you know and traffickers will watch for this they will send spotters into the schools those are kids like i mentioned earlier that are they don't really always know what they're doing if you watch the movie eight days that's a pretty good ind in indicator of that those spotters really don't know what they're doing. Eight Days is a true film, by the way. It's about a girl who's trafficked for eight days, but she was sold by acquaintances in school because they were going to make money and they didn't realize what would happen to her. So um, kids that don't have a place to run back to are particularly vulnerable. And those are the ones that we really want to have our eye on. You already do. I know you do because you're counselors and because you love kids. Um, kids uh, that are being trafficked, they, they won't identify as a victim of trafficking. Uh, you can ask them. A lot of them don't even know that term. Uh, they'll say, I have an older boyfriend. He's got a temper problem. Or I chose to sell myself so we could have a life together. Or I ran away and he helped me, so I owe him. Um, the case of a, a child who has a child, a, a young mom, and they can be young. I mean, one survivor I worked with, she became a mom when she was 14. And um, I have a child and now I'm trapped. Pimps know how to use that child as leverage. Rebecca Bender tells a story about when her pimp first moved her to Vegas and set her up an apartment and she had her little girl who was not quite two. And he said, dress up, babe, we're going out in the town. And she was so excited she didn't even think who he was leaving her baby with. So she didn't know where her baby was. She was just 19. Um, they went out on the town. He took her to a strip, strip joint in a back alley, brick brick wall with the door and said, you're going to go in there and you're going to strip and you're going to make back the money that I spent getting you and your baby here and set up. She didn't want to do it. She objected. He slammed her head against the, the window of the pickup and said, you're going to do this. And she realized I can't run. I don't even know where my baby is. I don't know who's got my kid and I don't know my address of my apartment. We just moved in today, trapped, mm -hmm. completely trapped. So if the child has a child, that is a whole nother level of coercion and control. Um, they may think I have nowhere better to go. So this is better than the streets. I mean, I came from an abusive home and at least here I can, um, you know, be free from my stepdad's beatings, but then it won't be long before the pimp steps into that very same mode. If they're being trafficked by a family member or if they were abused as a young child, which is very common among trafficked victims, uh, upwards of 90% of them have been sexually abused, at least physically and verbally abused, but most have been sexually abused. Um, they may have normalized this behavior and they're conditioned to um, hide the situation. They know not to tell certain things. 
so this isn't unusual for them. We had one girl who's in fourth grade health class, and as they were talking about healthy relationships and healthy touch and safe, uh, safe boundaries and all this, she was mystified that everyone in the room doesn't have their grandfather or their uncle come into their bedroom all the time. I mean, she, she had no idea. It had been happening to her since she was three. She had no idea that this was the only life she'd ever known. And she didn't know that this wasn't normal for a family. So you may see students who lack the understanding of terms, even for sexual acts or for bodily functions. Um, they, they may have been told, this is, what you're, this is what you were made for. This is who you are. This is all you're good for. And so they accept that because these are the people they trust, right? These are the people who are supposed to take care of them. And they believe children are the most resilient optimists ever. A parent can do just about anything to them and they will always believe that parent loves them. So that's our part to be able to help them to identify when that's not love and what it is they need to know and how to keep them safe. Um, Yvonne's story is one, it's on our website, sharedhope.org. Right now it is in the, the link as you go to sharedhope.org and you go down, there's a picture of Yvonne. It's a video, she's got her guitar and she tells her story. But in a nutshell, um, she was trafficked by her family. Her mother was uh, part of it. Uh, she had three or four brothers and sisters. She was the only one that was singled out for physical abuse and then later sexual abuse. Her father started taking her down to the basement and abusing her sexually. And then eventually he brought his friends and sold her to his friends. Um, the, a teacher noticed, you guys are important, teacher noticed and made a report and there was a caseworker assigned um, caseworkers often very, very overworked and overwhelmed. And this caseworker had more than 45 cases. And when she would go to the home, they would make Yvonne get in between the mattress and the box springs in the back bedroom. And she was not allowed to make any noise or she would receive horrendous beatings. And then when the social worker asked where she was, they'd say she's at her grandmother's or she's visiting friends or, and so there were no questions. Eventually, um, they got a, a one of those ottomans that looks like a box and has a lid on it and you can put blankets in it or whatever. But it's very small. It's about 18 by 18 by 18. It's a cube. Um, and they would put her in that box. And she still has joint problems in her hips from this day because of being crammed in that box. And her mother would sit on the lid while the social worker was there. And she knew she had to be quiet. She became pregnant when she was 13. Her father um, uh, he told her that he would kill the baby when it was born if it looked like any of his friends. And she delivered a breech baby boy in the basement with only her father in attendance. And she immediately said she wanted to name him after her father. She said she believes that's the only reason he agreed to let the baby live. And so now she had a baby and she's 14. And the baby began to be active and made too much noise in the basement. And so she was sent away to live with the relative. Um, Eventually, she ran away with the baby, went across the state line. Uh, social services discovered she was a minor with the baby. The baby was put into placement. She was put in another foster home. She was frantic, frantic to get her baby back. This is the first um, person in her life that was hers, that she could love and would love her back. And she, uh, it became a cycle of placements and running away until no one really bothered to look for her anymore. Um, she survived on the streets. 
Um, the baby was taken into custody. She has reunited with the baby. Yay! One of those beautiful stories. It was many years later. Uh, but um, she will tell us occasionally she did what she had to do to survive on the streets, which means she exchanged her body for basic needs. But she learned to stay to herself and stay safe. One night in the rain, uh, Washington State, it rains there all the time, uh, she was hitchhiking, trying to get to the mall, and an older man offered her a ride. And uh, they were just a few miles from the mall, and she said he looked like he was 80 years old, so she thought, he's probably a nice guy. So she got in the car, and instead he pulled down a shaded lane and drove a winding road and took her to his house and uh, uh, forced her inside. He told her that he was a, a retired uh, professional boxer. And then when she tried to fight him, he proved it by punching her repeatedly in the face. Um, he told her he was actually 84 years old. He was very proud of his age. He locked the door. Uh, she ran into the garage. He came in. She was trying to open any door to get out. She could. He kept punching her in the face. She fought back and finally he agreed, okay, fine, I'll take you back. So they got in the car. They pulled back in, on the road and he pulled in over, under an overpass and began groping her and trying to take off her, her shirt. She tried to escape, but he would push the button and lock the doors, and she knew she had one chance to get away. So she took a small shiv, uh, not much bigger than a pocket knife that she kept in her boot, and she shoved it in his ribs, and she opened the door, and she fell out on the road and got up and started running to get away. She was running for her life. Um, the man ended up in the hospital, he actually died of a heart attack, not the wound that she incurred, but she was charged with murder and she went to prison at the age of 16. She was there for uh, five years. Uh, Shared Hope heard about her and um, went to bat for her. And uh, when she was released, she came to work for Shared Hope in our WIN program, which is the Women's Investment Network. And she worked in the office for uh, a number of years and uh, she got married. She had two little girls. Uh, she moved to Texas. She and her husband now are involved in a uh, ministry because of her felony. She's not able to have a normal job. Um, Shared Hope has helped her. They've gotten her record cleared of some things. They were able to buy a house just this last year. She's so proud. I think she mentions it in the video. She's sitting there playing her guitar and she's like, I'm sitting in my house in my study. And she's so proud and we're so proud of her. Um, but she was able to put her life back together and Shared Hope is working really hard to change laws that would ever allow a victim be charged with the crime committed against them. But her faith and her resilience is a powerful testimony to what a child can do if they're just given a chance. And you all, as counselors and educators, you're part of that link, that chain that holds them safe and helps them and keeps them stable. So I just wanna thank you for all that you do to help kids. Now, other signs we can look for, um, they may exhibit a fearful or anxious behavior if they're asked personal questions because they're under threat. Uh, the pimp has said, I'll do this if you talk to anybody. So they don't want to talk. They may get angry. They may fight because that's a good um, diversion from having to answer your questions. Um, they may swear in order to be punished or, or disciplined and be, you know, okay, now we have to take you to, you know, the library. You have to go to the principal officer. And they love to be expelled because that removes them from a situation. Once it gets to this level of control, I told you earlier, school is a safe place. For most kids, that's true. Even though they're being trafficked, they find it to be a safe place. 
but at some point the the coercion and the the violence against them is so um intense that they're afraid to be in school because they're afraid they'll inadvertently um, tell somebody what's happening to them they also don't like to go to the doctor often you'll see victims with long-standing chronic infections or um, uh, injuries um, violent um, oral sex will tear a kid's mouth all to pieces inside they don't get dental or medical care and often there will be some scarring there and even possibly uh, a torn tongue or something that will inhibit their their speech by the time these things happen generally they're not going to school anymore but some other things you can look for they'll give you vague answers um, they've been taught to hide secrets particularly true of familial traffic victims um, they may appear to be malnourished or exhausted um, in the first section I told you they're working nights if they're still in school food is also used as a persuasion you didn't do what I said so you don't get to eat today and um, they'll be afraid to ask for meals at school because that could uh, indicate their situation. And so they'll just um, go without eating. So they may appear to be unkempt or disheveled. Like I said earlier, with familial trafficking, if a child's been trafficked from a very early age, infant or three or four, um, they won't understand basic hygiene. They won't understand body odors. Um, the common uh, signs of a child being trafficked by their family is that they really don't have body awareness because this is all they know, being assaulted and having sex. They, they don't really know anything else. Um, they may try to act older than their peers uh, or their own mental age. Part of that is because they are and they have lived experiences that make them an old soul long before their time. They know way more than other kids and that may irritate them that kids are upset because mom packed me an apple and I didn't want an apple in my lunch. And in their mind, they're like, you think you got problems. So they will uh, sometimes act older than their peers. Uh, the, the reverse of that is sometimes they'll act younger because as you know, social workers, when a child is sexually abused and that trauma happens, sometimes their mental growth is arrested at that time. And that's why we'll see survivors of sex trafficking who may be 24 and they act like a 15 year old because that's when they were first, um, that deep trauma happened and, and it just they just never grew after that in coping skills or the ability to know anything other than survival. Many of them are in fight or flight mode, uh, freeze fight or flight. Um, they, they, they may just be not present. They may actually be splitting uh, into that happy place. And the person you're seeing is the person that has to go to a happy place because this happens to me and that's where I go. So a lot of those things, um, they may cause frequent mood swings, um, inconsistent behavior. Um, they may have non-evident injuries and that's because of the 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 damage done through violent sex this is not sex like consenting this isn't that kind of sex this is a violent assault and the child is is very often experiencing internal internal damage and um they may not be able to sit on the floor cross-legged if you're teaching younger children in story time and that may be very painful for them they may have frequent stomach aches and that's not only stress of course it can be but it may be because of internal damages from having an adult man interject himself into you. They may have vaginal discomfort or infections for a very young age. Um, 
older teens may have consistent vaginal infections and they may not tell you about that but sometimes you might be able to understand certain they don't want to participate in PE or they don't want to you know and you just kind of ask some more questions um, I'm gonna to get to questions you can ask next in fact right here on my notes but you don't really want to say are you okay because that um, question sort of doesn't hold enough empathy for the child to feel safe and it's way too easy to go yeah I'm fine yeah. you know so instead here are some questions that can help you now we do have an online uh, training for social workers it's called intervene and it's an amazing uh, uh, like two two and a half hour it is accredited for social work credits um, and and it gives you much more in-depth from a uh, social work perspective I'm not a social worker but I have gleaned some things um, from being in workshops with other social workers and co-presenting with uh, one of our master's social work. But do you feel safe when you leave school? Watch for a hesitation. Watch for that, just that moment where they might look hopeful, they might look afraid. Um, they may not answer you right away. Uh, they may come back later. Uh, you know, when you ask me, you know, I have something to say now. Um, you know it takes a process that it's never a one-time conversation with children they have to feel safe and they might test you and throw you a little bit of a crumb and see what you do with it and if you you know well then I'm not gonna talk to you anymore another question is um, are are you or those you love being threatened um, that sometimes gives them an open door they may talk about well I have a friend who's being threatened well I have a friend and this is happening to them and we all know that that friend is usually living inside of them one question that has seemed to be effective particularly school teachers have told me they love this one when kids return from vacation especially little ones you know how they'll just dump their guts you know um, is there something you wish I knew that you'd like to tell me is there something you want me to know about you another good question is does your family know where you are now that's only if you know they have a family that has been uh, kind of tight or, or has been a source of, of stability for them um, another good question can you come and go as you please and then just let them answer and obviously you know this these are questions you ask in a safe setting where they feel comfortable and you know there might have to be hot chocolate involved or whatever but uh, just to be able to ask them questions where they feel your empathy and they also know that um, you're gonna look out for what's best for them um, they all know, I mean, you have to tell them, I'm a mandatory reporter, and if you tell me this, then I'm gonna have to get help for you, but I'll always be there for you. I will help you through this whole process. We're gonna do this together. Um, a few prevention resources that I wanted to throw out to you, there are actually three books. Uh, one is called Walking Prey, and it's the story of Holly Austin Gibbs, and it's about how insecurities increase vulnerability. She has an incredible story. She was 12 year old, 12 years old when she was trafficked and Holly always said I didn't feel attractive and I didn't feel like I was outgoing and I didn't have that personality and that is exactly she loved to sing and that is exactly what the pimp uh, predator preyed on it's an excellent book it also has a whole bunch I mean, pages and pages of how to uh, insulate your child against trafficking things to do like teach them hygiene because if the kids got bad hygiene, they're gonna get bullied. And if they're bullied, their seam's gonna hurt. And if they're hurt, then they're gonna be vulnerable to somebody who pays attention to them, that kind of thing. She has pages and pages of that. Also, there's a book called The Slave Across the Street. And that is the story of Teresa Flores. And she was gang trafficked right out of her home. 
and her father was a traveling salesman and was gone a lot. And her mother was a great mom, but didn't know what to look for. And uh, Teresa was forced to leave the house every night, crawling out her bedroom, went on second story, going down the garage, going down the trellis, go. And these guys uh, took her and did whatever they wanted with her. And then she would return home uh, in the morning or before her, she was missed. Um, she escaped because her, her father got transferred and they moved. And all of a sudden she was free. But before she left, she watched the gang begin to recruit another girl in her classroom. And she knew what was happening and she knew she couldn't intervene or, or she might disappear or something worse. Um, she did try to talk to her teachers on several occasions, but she didn't have the words to describe what was happening to her. And there wasn't an understanding. This was probably 15 years ago. So thank the Lord that there are people like you that want to know and are learning. So the third book is In Pursuit of Love. It's Rebecca Bender's story. Rebecca is herself a survivor. She was, um, it was the summer after her high school year. She was on a full scholarship for playing volleyball at the University of Oregon and she got pregnant, a summer romance and that she lost her scholarship and that started her down a very vulnerable road but she tells her entire story in such i mean i know rebecca i've known her for 10 years i know her entire story i couldn't put the book down i said this needs to come with the label it will cause lack of sleep so those are three books that i think are awesome let me just talk a minute about other vulnerabilities um we've covered a lot um and in session one we covered some things to watch for other vulnerabilities could be foster care children um, it's a small leap for them knowing that I live with you and you provide for me and you get paid for it. And then when they're upset about the curfew or they're mad because they have to go to church or whatever's happening in that foster home and a pimp comes along and says, oh, you have to live there. You can come live with me and you can make all your own choices. And you know what? All I need you to do is do this, pay your way so that you can live with me and I'll take care of you. It's unfortunately a pretty small mental leap into that. And if a child is already sexually active, it's, it's much less of a leap. Um, they may move around a lot. Uh, we know how that happens with foster care. Uh, they may not be connected to anyone who uh, would know them. And that's why as teachers and counselors, when you get a foster care kid in, in your, your oversight, um, you know, pay a little extra attention, give them that extra boost, uh, that extra high five, show them they're important. You do that anyway. But uh, that may be the, the thing that keeps them from going with someone who promises them a better life because they see that you could be their better life. I've heard so many stories of, of school teachers and counselors who were that link to safety and how that kid, they stayed straight and true, even though they had every odd against them because Mrs. So-and-so believed in me. So I just want to encourage you with that. Another vulnerability is gang involvement. We talked about that just a few minutes um, in session one, but uh, the gang becomes the family that they're missing and it provides protection and esteem, identity in exchange for se selling themselves to contribute to the family. Now we've been told by law enforcement that females are never really truly considered members of a gang. They are a commodity, but they're told they're members of a gang because that's how they get them to come in and then stay. But it's like drugs or illegal arms, they're selling, usually females, for income for the um, gang. Runaways, um, oh, 
Brianna said one time, if I could tell you one thing, there was a whole group of kids at an event we did and all the adults were down the main floor and the kids were all in the mezzanine upstairs because we gave them popcorn and drinks during the presentation. And she pointed at them and she said, don't ever run away. Because pimps will watch bus stations, parks, places where kids could find refuge, um, popular fast food restaurants, um, not only runaways, but throwaways, and I really hate that, that label, but kids who are forced out of their homes by a parent or guardian, um, they're, they're considered throwaways sometimes. And those kids aren't old enough to get a job. They're running from a difficult situation. Their basic needs are unmet. They will accept help from a stranger. We heard a story of a girl who took a bus to a neighboring city uh, across the front of the bus station was a cemetery. And she thought, that'll be a safe place. There's nobody in a cemetery. And so she stayed there the first night. And the next morning she emerged from the bushes and went to McDonald's, the little bit of pocket change that she had. And when she came out, there was a very nice, helpful man who offered to, I, I can give you a ride. I saw you walk across the street. I don't know if you have a place to stay. Um, you know, I've got a Subway sandwich here. I'd be happy to give it to you for your lunch. And it was like, he wasn't asking for anything. I'll give you the sandwich and you can take it and go. And, and, and she was so grateful to have someone who would take care of her that she went with him for a sandwich. So um, runaways are, are very high, very high uh, vulnerable. The juvenile justice system, if kids have been arrested and are on probation, they can be at higher risk of trafficking. Um, At-risk youth can be picked up for loitering, curfew violations, minors in possession of drugs and alcohol, shoplifting. Pimps will make sure they do something illegal so that when the pimp gets them out of jail, they owe him. And uh, spring break is particularly dangerous for college students because they'll get arrested for something and they're not about to tell their mom and dad, but this guy shows up and I'll bail you out and, and then just I'll I have a place for you to stay and blah, blah, blah. And the kid never goes home after spring break. Um, we are hearing that as our laws are getting more uh, stringent against um, buying and selling minors, that some pimps are going to college campuses, particularly right now where school is resuming, and they're looking for those kids, boys and girls, who look like they're 15 or 16. So I am dedicated to getting on college campuses and forming college clubs. We have a few already that can warn kids and talk to them about things that happen on college campus. I wish I had time for more stories, but I'm going to keep moving. Other vulnerabilities, uh, we talked a bit about LGBTQ+. Let me tell you about a study done in 2016 by Rose Sepowitz from Arizona State University on trans and LGBTQ+. Um, I'm going to read it because it's important I say it accurately. Uh, LGBTQ+, account for disproportionately higher incidence of runaway and homeless youth, and they experience higher rates of victimization their youth experiences survey showed that 54.5% of sex trafficked young adults identified as LGBTQ um, from this population in uh, young adults that they surveyed um, as having been trafficked. They're significantly more likely to report having been trafficked for drugs, money, or a place to stay. And you'll also see that male victims are more commonly in this at-risk group. Male victims is something that's kind of been off the radar. It's been very hard to convince the public that a male can be raped. 
Uh, it's also very hard to um, reach the male because there's that certain amount of, well, if I was really a guy, I would have fought back. Or if I was really tough or if I was really manly, I could have gotten away and I didn't. So I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm shamed by that to admit that. And especially if they're heterosexual, uh, they will also be sold to male buyers. And so that, that, causes that shame, the whole veil that, you know, they're not as apt to ask for help. They're not as apt to come forward. Uh, some of them, it takes them decades before they're able to say, I was a victim of trafficking. We do have some amazing male survivors right now that are sharing their stories. Um, Judge Robert Long, uh, Lung, L-U-N-G, shares his story. He's a judge in, Cal in Colorado. He's amazing, doing all he can to help at-risk kids. Um, Nathan Earle is in Florida. He runs, um, it's called ARC, A-R-C. I can't remember what it is. He's an amazing uh, male s survivor as well. There are a number of them, and their stories are just amazing, and they've helped us to get a window into this population to say, hmm, there's more boys out there being trafficked than we know. And LGBTQ is a little more visible to us because they're just more visible, but, but that's one area where we really, really need to find them and find ways to reach them, find ways to help them. There is a home that Shared Hope uh, helps support in Florida. It's called Hero House, and it's one of the first homes for minor boys in the nation. Let's talk about who are the pimps and who are the buyers. So a trafficker, predator, pimp, can look like anybody else. Um, it's not like the movies where they have the, you know, the hat with the leopard trim and the white fur coat. And they, they, they don't look like the movies. They can look like anybody. Um, they can be male or female. They can be any race. Uh, they sometimes work as couples because they will utilize the female to be able to speak to females who are hesitant and don't trust. Um, they, they, they have lots of different tactics and ways but I mentioned briefly spotters. They will hire spotters within the school to identify potentially vulnerable kids. And I remember the first time I heard, yeah, they're recruiting out of the schools. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. How do they get in the schools? There are no adults going into the schools and talking to these kids. Well, it's because they use junior and senior high school students. And they offer them $200 per kid to identify a kid who's at risk. And it might just simply be someone who's drug or alcohol addicted, somebody who's angry or isolated, somebody who's a runaway, somebody who's always in trouble, um, or maybe somebody like, like Holly, who was always very shy and retired and afraid, but she wants to sing. And so those kind of vulnerabilities, these, these junior and senior high school students will identify to a pimp trafficker and uh, then they'll begin to follow them like they did Lacey, recognizing she walked home from school every day, recognizing she was grocery shop <clears throat> shopping for the family, etc. Pimps will find their victims uh, in shopping malls, at school, after school programs, hangout locations, um, fast food restaurants, coffee shops, parks, near foster homes. They know where those foster kids live. Uh, near group homes. They know that for sure. Um, any kid that's on probation, uh, they know where they're at. They can follow, you know, the paperwork. I mean, you can look kids up. That's unbelievable, but you can. And so they'll go wherever teens are, and they're master manipulators. Um, that fraudulent relationship, like I said, it begins with a compliment. Girl, you are so pretty. You could be a model. And if that minor responds to that compliment, then the compliment slowly over time 
turns into romantic attraction and then physical attention, always with your permission. Ultimately, it's a boyfriend status and that includes intimacy. And then she feels she owes him something because he's now wonderful to her and he's given her so many things and he's bought her a leather purse and he took her on a weekend trip. She could never have gone to blah, 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 wherever it was. And so then she feels like she owes him something. Um, they, they move slowly, these pimp predators. Um, they want to ensure that their victims feel safe and cared for. Um, time is on their side. This is an investment that will pay rich dividends. Um, a victim may be sold many times a night, uh, seven days a week. They're sold even if they're sick. The pimps don't care. They want their money. Um, most pimps have more than one person in their stable and they have quotas on their people. Uh, years ago, the quota was like $500, $800 a night. Now the quota is more like 1000 to 1500 a night and she brings that home or else. And um, let's just do some easy math here. I don't do math if I have a calculator. So um, say he's got one person whose quota is 1500 a night and he makes her work 300 days a year. Nobody gets two months off, but that's easy math. That one person with the alleged two months off is worth 450000 a year to that pimp. Now multiply that if he's got four or five people. Uh, if he's got multiple homes, uh, the pimp that trafficked Rebecca Bender had a home in Phoenix and had one in Vegas, and he had five to six girls in each home. And you can imagine why they were able to live in 3,000 square foot homes in gated communities and drive Lexus and Jaguars. I encourage people to call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's number because we deal with minors. There is a national hotline number, but we call 1-800-THE-LOST. And that number, I encourage you to put in your phone right now. And as teachers and as, as administrators and as counselors, you have other numbers that you know to call locally, but make those calls, do what you have to do, and then call this number because it goes into a national registry and they are connected to the FBI and law enforcement in every state. And I don't know if you know about NCMEC, I love them. They are some, some of the people that work there are some of my very best friends. They never give up on a child, never, ever, ever, ever. And that report will help them if they get enough calls that, you know, Starbucks on 13th and, and Cooper Street, there's a guy that hangs out there. He's there all the time. He has two phones. He drives a really nice car. He's always buying kids coffee. I don't know what it is, but it looks weird. Nick Mix says, we don't have to know everything. Just tell us what you know. And they will start. They'll stake it out. They'll contact local law enforcement. They'll work with advocates. They will do all kinds of things to, to get this kid to safety. So 1-800-THE-LOSS, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So uh, recruiters will move in after child's identified. We talked about spotters in the school who go, hey, this kid's always, you know, this or that. So then the recruiter moves in, starts watching that child, and they will become that trusted person that will build the relationship. And then when the minor is fully invested and separated from their former networks, then the pimp, which may also be that uh, recruiter, they can be the same person, uh, will then season them. And that involves multiple rape, um, deprivation, uh, violence or threats against loved ones. Um, at that point, they're psychologically, emotionally, and physically dependent on this person in so many ways, and they will comply. And I can't tell you how many heartrending stories I've heard of kids who complied simply because they thought they were protecting 
grandma or mom or little brother or whatever, um, they don't know how to skate. They don't know. They, if you say I'll kill grandma, if you tell the police, they're not going to tell the police. They don't have the ability to process that kind of information. Uh, many are teens and tweens. They don't see a way of escape. They've been told not to talk. They're not going to talk. They don't have the ability to deduce a situation, to create a plan and execute that plan to safety, the slightest mishap or the slightest intimidation, and they're done. Uh, they've been brainwashed, trapped, and extorted, and they don't see a way out. Now, many times videos of rape are made, obviously, without their consent, um, and, and they sell that, that uh, pornography to make another income stream, or they'll use it to control the, the young person. You do this or I'll, I'll, I'll expose this, I'll send it to your mom or your grandma or your youth leader or whoever. Um, the other thing is um, that image then, these, these commercially explicit images of minors, they live forever on the internet. Pornhub had a recent um, statistic. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but if all of the videos that are on Pornhub were viewed end to end by one person, it would take them nine years mm. to watch all of the films. Many of them are infant um, rape. Um, they're, they're ugly. It's an ugly, ugly place. But once pictures of a, a, a kid or anyone goes into that cesspool, you can't get it back. And that can cause much trauma for years. Imagine some young girl who thinks she's escaped and started a new life and she goes to school and she gets married and she has kids and her kids are teenagers and some kid at school says, I found a picture of your mom. You can imagine that trauma. So it is years of trauma and we'll follow them into their new life. So we really want to protect kids and that's why I'm doing this today. And I'm so glad you're listening because this is going to help you to help them. Most commercial sex nowadays is advertised online. Very few pimps will risk having their victims on the track or street walking. So um, some people have asked, has COVID-19 impacted the market? I wish I could say that buyers and pimps took a holiday, um, but they're not afraid of COVID. Pimps obviously want their money and they have no regard for the safety of their product. Um, in fact, buying sex online has not abated during this time. Perhaps there were five to 10 days right in the let's flatten the curve thing where everybody's kind of like, whoa, what is this? And will it kill me tomorrow? Uh, that things slowed down just a bit, but it came roaring back because um, addicts uh, go to their addiction during stress. And this time has been stressful for all of us. Um, I don't know where they get the money, but even if they've lost their jobs, they find a way to fulfill their addictions. So some of you have asked about tools to help protect kids. Um, some ask, what about younger children? And this is a tough one for me because um, we've heard from teachers that littles will often tell you what their older siblings are doing or what's happening in the home. So since five-year-olds know or don't know whole lots of things and there's a lot of protections that we have around them against information that they couldn't handle um, i began to think of ways that i could talk to parents and created a whole presentation that helps parents build guardrails inside of their children so in response to that inquiry shared hope developed a presentation designed to speak to parents and caregivers of young children to help them start early to teach them to protect themselves. It's called cultural grooming. Much of it's built on Holly Austin Smith's book, Walking Prey, 
Uh, if you read the book and then you see the presentation, you'll go, oh, that's where Joe got a lot of that because I had no firsthand experience and Hollywood's the wealth of information. Um, we teach them how to build body boundaries, how to teach a child to be rude to nice people because traffickers are very nice. Yeah. They're very nice. On the internet, they can be the nicest people in the world. And you have to teach your kids to know the red flags. I don't know this person. Why do they know so much about me? Why do they always want to talk to me? Um, I shouldn't be talking to somebody they don't actually know. They either go to my school. Not somebody who's a friend of somebody who's a friend of somebody who's a friend of somebody because those friends may not have any safeguards on their computers and on their devices. And that person knows me because I'm their friend's friend's friend. And so we have to teach kids how to be rude to nice people. We have to teach them to follow their instincts. Um, to be comfortable, to say no, teach them how to say no. So uh, if they don't want to sit on Uncle Barry's lap, they shouldn't have to. Uh, if they don't want to kiss, even don't like his grandma goodbye, that's fine. You have a choice. It's your body. It's okay. Grandma would really like you to kiss her goodbye, but you can do it next time or throw her a kiss and give them options and make sure they know they have a right to say no. Um, other tools for this younger age group, there's a great uh, body safety box. Um, it has handcrafts and scripts in cellophane packages, everything you need, tape, markers, uh, I don't think they're scissors, but everything, uh, popsicle sticks, frames, outlines, you know, stick on bathing suits, etc. I talked to her about that. The bathing suit reel doesn't work anymore because traffickers will begin to, they're usually known by the child, but they'll stroke their hair or they'll rub their back or, you know, that whole don't touch the swimsuit areas. That's like, that ship has sailed by the time they get to that point. But it has um, two different types. There's five to eight year olds and nine to 12 year olds. It was developed by an educator, Dr. Missy Greider, and it has eight projects to work on and then talk about safety. And it's so awesome because you know this, but I'm learning it. If kids are busy doing something, they'll talk about, but if you sit them down face to face and go, let's talk about, and they're like, I'm bored, you know? So uh, these are awesome tools. They do have bulk pricing for classrooms. So it might be something you wanna look into. There's five to eight year olds and nine to 12 year olds. So I got my daughter's permission. I went through it with my um, then eight year old granddaughter. She loved it. I mean, the first thing she'd come up, grandma, can we do the box? So they are really wonderful. And for me, um, as, as stepping into the role of a parent or an educator, having this conversation, it was so great to have the script because I learned a lot. It was like six years ago. So since then, I've gotten a lot smarter. Um, there's also some books that you'll love. There's good pictures, bad pictures. Um, contrary to the title, this isn't punitive, but it's about pictures that are good for you and pictures that can be bad for you. And so it prepares children to have an open conversation when they stumble across pornography. It used to be the average age that a child was exposed to porn was 10. Now it's more like eight and we've had five-year-olds inadvertently exposed. Two little boys went on a field trip. One little boy had his dad's iPhone so he could call mom when he got home so she could come pick him up. And of course, they're going to get the phone out and they Google Legos. Okay, Legos, that should be safe, right? Legos having sex. They clicked on it. They came into all kinds of pictures. It started with Lego pictures and then it moved into other pictures. This book helps because it talks about backing out of those images and what you can do to your brain to rebuild the synapse and, and not create pathways that cause addictions and excellent books. There's a junior one for littler, younger kids, and then there's an older version. Uh, it's a conversation. It opens a conversation. I love these books, but you can Google good pictures, bad pictures and find out about the book. 
So I'm just wrapping up here. Shared Hope has an amazing website with lots of resources. It can be a little overwhelming. There's a search down at the bottom, so you can go in and look for things by name, and usually it'll bring up fact sheets, warning signs, those kind of things. Most of it's free. You can download stuff. You can download an online safety booklet for parents. Um, you can sign up to be a weekend warrior. Just put that in the search at the bottom. It'll bring you right up. It's a free subscription, and every Saturday you'll get a new tool. There are videos I mentioned to you in the first session about DMST videos that talk about at-risk kids. Uh, those videos are free on that site. That was a sponsored project. It was paid for, and the one indicator from those who made the donation was that we give it free to everyone. So yay, you can go to Weekend Warriors and get those films free. You can get all kinds of warning posters, booklets, just a wealth of information. And our goal is we know you're busy. We know you don't have a lot of time to fight trafficking. But if you have 15 minutes on the weekend, we're going to send you tools. And then you just turn around and send them to your networks. And boom, you've helped keep a whole bunch of kids safe. So that's the goal behind Weekend Warriors. Shared Hope has an online safety series. We are currently doing a series of webinars. We've had the first one and the next one will be next Wednesday and the following Wednesday. The third one is actually going to have high school students uh, telling their experiences and sharing with adults how you need to talk to us as teens. So tune in, learn something, we'll all be there. Um, the videos and print resources um, that the safety series has are geared towards empowering adults and caregivers. The presentations include scripts for starting a conversation, uh, teach your children to trust their instincts, how to recognize that not everybody online is who they say they are, to help uh, adults understand the lingo of today, I've done some newsletter articles for my ambassadors. I'm like shocked. It's like, I had no idea that's what that meant. I mean, you know, they use, oh, you, you know what I'm talking about. So we need to be as smart as they are uh, to help kids identify potential risks online. Um, the online safety series also includes dangerous apps. Of course, those change daily, weekly, whatever. We try to keep that information always updated. That's why we don't offer this in printed resource because we put the PDFs on and then, oh, guess what? That app got shut down by the federal government. Okay, well, here's the one that replaced it. You know, So we keep the information fresh and viable. Um, we teach you how to safeguard the gateways to your child's device. Uh, we all lock the door and we all make sure that kids are safe in their room. And if they have their telephones uh, or their, their Chromebooks or their laptops, you have left the back door open. And so lots of guidelines for parents. My favorite one is all devices are in the parents' room at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever time, uh, to be charged. And they stay in the parents' room. And you might have to put them in the closet and lock it because your kids are going to get really good at crawling in in the dark, doing the army crawl and getting their device. But um, that's a really important thing uh, for parents to be able to enforce. You pay for it. It's your house. It's your device. You should be able to restrict after. Uh, besides, they need their sleep. They're going to get up and go to school tomorrow. So I'm sure the teachers all say amen to that. They need their sleep so we can live with them. So um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reports that during COVID, they have seen double the reports of online enticement in 2020 during the same time in 2019. I'm going to read this in closing here. Boy, that sounds like a pastor, doesn't it? I'm going to take an offering. <laughs> so before I go, I just want to read to you about National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. With children and adults spending more time online due to virtual learning and increased working from home, 
National Center for Missing and Exploited Children says there are more opportunities for children to be exploited online. The center says in the first quarter of this year, they became aware of predators openly discussing the pandemic as an opportunity to entice unsupervised children into producing sexually explicit material. In other words, sexting videos and these are being gleaned and sold and used for blackmail to the kid and eventually used to control that child in march of 2020 the fbi released information about the potential increased risk of child exploitation due to covid 19. in that release the fbi said children would have an increased online presence or put in a position putting them at an inadvertent risk due to school closures and the fact that many are taking school online. So here's my last encouragement to you all. Go on to Shared Hope's website. Go to just do sharedhope.org slash internet safety slash and you will find short videos, I promise, five to seven minutes explaining how to safeguard uh, the devices so that predators cannot find that child. And I know a lot of schools now are providing Chromebooks and I'm not trying to give you more work. But if you can just get some college student who wants to donate their time and come in and put those safeguards on all those Chromebooks before they go out the door. Um, and as your children return to school, just be sure that your devices on the school grounds are safeguarded and that those predators can't find your kids because they are your kids. And you're doing a great job. You are keeping them safe. The fact that you've joined us for these two sessions and you've listened to me ramble on and on for all this time, it shows that your heart is there. And I so appreciate Kim and Laura. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to be with you. And I love that we just had this time together. And please keep my phone number and my email if you need anything. Um, I'm available for those of you online. If you want to talk to Shared Hope via email, it's save lives at sharedhope.org and that will get you in the door and we have people who monitor those emails and some of them will come to me and some of them will go to our attorneys and some will go to the internet safety people whatever you ask for it'll get to the right person will respond thank you so much for having shared hope international thank you for being on and we're going to offer uh, the resources that you've sent us and the links uh, we'll have those attached uh, at the end of this podcast so that other educators can go in. And some of this information, uh, thinking back on two or three cases, I wish that extra step of being able to call the 1-800-LOST had, I had done that. I, I, I think to, or um, say, you know, not that I don't trust other people to do their part of it, but that extra step, I think would have made me feel uh, even more secure that I'd done everything that I could possibly do to protect this child, so. Thanks. Let me encourage you, uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children takes any report anytime, even if that kid disappeared 10 years ago, you can report, tell them what you know, and they will go after that kid. They never give up. They find them. Thank you so much. And, and yeah. um, that I think, I think that there's so much information here that it's a wealth of information and I'm so glad to know about it. All right, Kim. That wow. was amazing. She was amazing. Yeah, she was. And so, so very important. I'm so glad we had the opportunity that they gave us the time and, and help um, that I think would counselors need in dealing with this issue. So let's unpack some takeaways that we learned. And there was so much.
Yeah. If I had to narrow it down to one thing from this second part, the thing that struck me, and it's it's kind of related to the the day and time we're in, but she talked about how school is a safe place for so many students that are in this situation right now, the trafficking, you know, actively trafficked students, that school is their their safety. They can't be reached at school. And it made me think about the school shutdowns and virtual learning and how yeah. it just made me sick. And you can, if you're watching the video, you can see my reaction. And that's exactly what went through my head whenever she said that. And, and let me piggyback on that. School is, they feel safe at school, but having gone through a situation where a student was being groomed, we have to remember that students can be picked up at school. And, yes. and that's even scary because then what safeguards do we have in place? And when they get older, you know, they're just turned loose. So at the end of the day or whatever. So um, I'm glad they feel safe at school. And yes, it's, it's, you makes you wonder what's happening since school is not in session in a lot of places, mm -hmm. but it can happen at school. And, and that was one of our, uh, one of the things that we had to add extra safety layers because we knew that this grooming process was taking place and we had to protect that student. So um, it, 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 there is so much, especially right now, like yeah. what's going on with so many kids not in school. Um, and that kind of leads me into my takeaway, okay. uh, which is, you know, those kids, like you were saying, well, we can put eyes on them. That's such a safe thing. You know, we feel like, well, we've seen them today. We can kind of keep up with them. But we, when we can't keep up with them, it's like, we're, what's happening to them? Where are those kids we're worried about? And one of the things that she talked about was the, uh, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Am I saying that right? I believe so. So, and that is a, a like an FBI area. And that is something that as counselors, we can put in our pocket and pull out. We need to just kind of put that in our memory bank that that's there, that no, we're not mandatory reporters to, to that center of missing and exploited children. But there are times when, um, you know, we know that that's there. And if, 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 if nothing's being done by the powers that be, or we don't feel like, um, we are getting the help that we need. That was kind of for me an aha moment that yeah. yes, that is that is a service for everybody, and and that's one that we can use. So you're right because when she said the word exploited, I was like, okay, that's because I just think of them as if you're missing a student, but that covers so much more. Absolutely, both both parts. I mean, yeah. if uh, there's a lot of kids that people can't find right now because of what you said, they're not in school and they're virtual or homeschool or and maybe we've not been able to touch base with them. Yeah. Uh, so at what point would we, you know, pull that out of our pocket and say, I'm, I'm, you know, this is where I think we need to go with this. But um, a lot of a lot of information for counselors and uh, to share with their students and to share with their teachers because mm -hmm. the teachers are the ones that are going to see these kids who are being groomed and the changes. You know, we've all seen the big changes in kids and that it's not always that they're being groomed. It could be other things. But, you know, when you're looking for that complete change in personality and appearance and, and all those things that she's talking about, that's real. We've seen it. Yeah. And 
um, we need to, to dig a little closer, put that in our memory bank and dig closer and find out what's going on. So. And check out the resources from Shared Hope because they have training for students, they have training for educators, they have everything to make people aware of what to look for, what's going on. So check them out. We have their resources in our show notes, so you can check those out. You can also go to their website, sharedhope.org, and look them up. And as always, you can subscribe to this. You can rate us. Kim says only rate it if you um, have a Don't say anything bad about Laura. <laughs> <laughs> but I say all criticism is constructive, so anything you have to share with us is welcome. And you can join our Facebook group at counselloraccents.com. Find us on Instagram. We post, uh, what, once every blue moon, Kim? Well, because I've turned that over to you. That's on you. So, you know, you used to say ring my bell. Yes, and I, not what I created. That is what your son tricked us into saying. Oh. I'm convinced it was a trick to see okay. if we would do it, and we did. And we would sing it. And he said that people know what that is, but I've not found one person that knows what it is. And that's on... I'm going to start surveying. Okay. Let's let us know. Out. If you know what that phrase means, just let us know. <laughs>